0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minimans standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property as we barrel towards the end of this year. It is a brand new week, Monday, and this is really our last full week of broadcast here for the year. I can't believe. It has gone by this fast, but boy, do we have a lot to do this week. This is that critical week where if you don't put the GOP on a leash, which the conservative movement has not, there is no limit to the treachery, to the betrayal, the perfidy that they could commit. And the two biggest things we're watching, obviously on the congressional front, are the omnibus bill and any amnesty bill, uh, and they're working on both. Uh, As of now... So the budget expires at the end of the week, and clearly they're not going to get an omnibus bill done this week. They're probably going to kick it into next week at this point, still another week before Christmas, and then that's really where there's a threat they're going to work on an omnibus bill. So again, call your members of Congress and senators and make it very clear, no omnibus bill, no amnesty. And you know, before we get to the main course today, I just want to elaborate on this point a little bit. The central difference between this show and every other one is that they primarily view the only problem as the Democrats. So they immediately go to that point of contention between R and D, and they just go after the Ds. To me, my point is the R's are just as bad, and if you don't focus on what they're doing... They will screw you. On the other hand, we do wield more influence over them than we do Democrats. That's why I spend my time focusing on them. And this is why everyone's like, oh, okay, so Republicans have this. Let's focus on what they don't have. Oh, we need this election to win this. Or, oh, the red states. Well, Republicans control that, so let's focus on the swing states. And my point is, no. If Republicans control those states, you focus on them every day of the week. Everything they're doing should be scrutinized. And that's what we're going to keep doing and certainly do in earnest early and often next year when the, um, not just the new Congress is sworn in, but the new legislative sessions are sworn in as well. Um, basically for today, I want to give you what I believe, give over what I believe are the two most concerning things that we face, the two biggest threats we face. And one's the biggest threat we face. And the other one is the biggest threat we face to redressing that problem. The biggest threat is the biomedical security state. Embodied, as we're going to discuss with Dr. Andrew Huff coming up, not so much HHS and the nanny state healthcare, they're more downstream. It's the national defense, national security, homeland security intelligence apparatus that's the big threat the lockdowns the vaccines we think oh that's like the the doctors the doctors no they didn't this is well beyond them this is the germ warfare from the national security apparatus think dick cheney in in, in, in the shadow of 9-11, not that it wasn't there before September 11, 2021, but that's really what turbocharged this national security state. And by the way, that's why Liz Cheney was obsessed with COVID fascism. This is the national defense state, and the reason why that's important is... There's a lot of consensus among Republicans, oh, Fauci this and Fauci that, and yeah, you know, when we hold our Nuremberg trial, he would be one of the ones swinging from a tree with nothing under him, but he's not really the the biggest figure. It's that national security, national defense state— That's what's making America like China. That's what's coming up with all these repressive and regressive ideas and the surveillance state and the gain of function and germ warfare and constant vaccination. That's really what's pushing it. They have the clout, the money, the technology, the connections, the global connections. And that's really what we're going to discuss with with our guests coming up. But I want to discuss the other threat at this point, and that is the threat to redressing it. In other words, we've been noting that the biggest thing that we're going to do, we're not going to save the country. The country is lost. Our government law is lost. Our military is lost. Okay, our, our military and surveillance state, our national defense state, homeland security state, this is what conservatives always love. The part of government they love, that is the worst part of government. You're not going to fix it. We need to protect ourselves and create citizen sanctuaries in as many localities and states as we can. But here's the problem. Let's say my list of items that I want state legislatures to pass would pass within a couple months early next year in 20 to 25 states. The biggest thing we have to contend with are the courts, the federal courts, we haven't talked about this in a while, but pic- picture your top 10 things that you want your governor, your state legislature to do, and just know that every one of them will be brought to court. And if we are going to continue abiding by this notion of judicial supremacism, and what I mean by that is it's not that the courts don't have a critical role. I think we should take things to court ourselves. But that they are the final arbiter of the Constitution. Then we're screwed. Then they're going to get us even in red states because the courts are never there for us to protect our rights when they're violating the blue states. So I'm already resigned to the fact that you can't live there and you have to break away in these states. But part of that breakaway is going to be telling the courts to go to hell. And that's that's this story unbelievable story out of montana federal judge strikes down montana vaccine choice law in health settings federal judge in the u.s district of montana ruled late friday that montana's from the montana free press that montana's law barring discrimination based on vaccine status is unconstitutional and preempted by federal law as it applies to healthcare settings bringing a resolution to a lawsuit filed against hb 702 by Montana hospitals and medical providers and unionized nurses, the 41-page ruling written by Judge Donald W. Malloy, I think he's a Clinton appointee, found that while justified by state attorneys as an anti-discrimination measure, the law effectively restricts healthcare employers from using vaccination status to assist with setting workplace policies or vaccination regarding any vaccine-preventable disease. And you could imagine, after everything we know, how these things harm you, they're saying you have a constitutional right, not to your own body, but to someone else's body. You have the right to force someone else to get an injection. You have the right to force someone else to wear a mask. And by the way, this is a big problem, that anyone working in healthcare to this freaking day, three years into this, they're still wearing things that cause harm. Our bacteria traps do not help one iota against respiratory illnesses. And if you wear them long enough, they put stress on your heart, your immune system, and possibly cause cancers. How is this still humane? But um, the judge went on to say... That plaintiff successfully argued that the state law was preempted by the Federal Americans with Disabilities Act as well, well as other federal laws. The law prohibits employers from collecting records of staff members' vaccination status, making it impossible for healthcare providers to meet immunocompromised patients' request to only be treated by vaccinated staff. Again, how could you argue something that's illogical? If it works, it works. You have the vaccine. First of all, it's been proven a million times over. I mean, it, it doesn't work against critical illness, but, but even they agree it doesn't work against transmission. So A, it, doesn't, it literally doesn't matter, even if you yourself didn't get the vaccine, whether the person treating you got the vaccine or not, and B, you have the right to get it yourself. Don't force it on other people. This is unbelievable. So so think about this. You have a vaccine that's proven to have a 7 to 10% rate of serious injury, 1% to 2% rate of life-threatening injury, heart damage up the wazoo that we're only finding out, long-term damage we're only finding out, negative efficacy wipes your natural immunity to this virus and other viruses. Yet somehow... That's not covered under the ADA to force someone to inject it in their own body. And they say it violates OSHA too. It's Malloy said it's incompatible with Occupational Safety and Health Act because vaccine-preventable diseases constitute recognized hazards in the workplace. But it, it literally doesn't help another person. And it literally has been proven harmful. So it's 100% harmful to the person getting it and then to the person not getting it but wants you to get it, it literally doesn't affect them. There's nobody who could disagree with that science. That's proven a million times over. Whatever side of the debate you're on. And yet they could rule a world upside down. Normally, ADA, you have to you know accommodate someone who has illnesses that you don't, you don't harm them. Here, oh, it accommodates another person to force you to do something to your body. But you can't assert ADA on your own body, which is what it always was. It's like, look, I, I, my body is harmed by this. You have to accommodate me. But here, you want the shot. Go get it. Meaning there's never a time we say that it, it's like the equivalent of saying, not only are, are we going to build a, a, a wheelchair ramp for you who's in a wheelchair, right? That's ADA. But I'm going to make everyone else go around in a wheelchair. That's what it, the equivalent of applying the ADA to this, and it's not even a good equivalent because, you know, for the most part, uh, you go in a wheelchair, it doesn't really harm you. I mean, if you do it long-term, maybe you atrophy certain muscles, but the point is, it's nothing. I, I would rather do that for, 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 uh, for uh, 30 minutes than, than, than get an irrevocable shot of, of mRNA juice. But this is what we have in Montana. Now, it's not a state judge. It's a federal judge. But this is something we really need to watch. I guess Montana, I believe, is in the 10th Circuit. I could be wrong. Um, But they'll obviously appeal it. But this is a big, big problem. At some point, we're going to have to say no to the courts. Now, folks, one thing you can do to take your own destiny in your own hands, with gas prices out of control... I recognize I recommend downloading the Upside app, all upside, only pay, gain and no pain, the opposite of what we're talking about today with mass and mRNA juice. Um look, higher gas prices and food are here to stay. Notice how no one talks about it anymore. We're already groomed into the new normal. Because it's not $5. What is it? Like 3.50 now, 3.40 depending on where you are, but that's insanely high. For the dead of the winter, right? This is usually when it's the lowest around December. So that's how they groom you into the new normal. So now it's gonna be 340 in the winter, and you know, four in the spring or whatever, and diesel is even much more expensive, and somehow that's considered low now. But it's not low. So rather than just getting one percent back on your credit card, upside is an app you download, you register you they give you like within the 50 miles of your location, hey, this shell station is affiliated with us or this BP and then you register and then you you know, you have your account, your checking account linked to it and you can get 40 to 50 cents per gallon cash back through using this at the pump. Um my wife and I have used it consistently for guests, and now some groceries as well. They also have it for restaurants and other places. So to get started, download the free Upside app in the App Store or Google. Use my promo code CONSERVATIVE, and right off the bat, you get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. So the first time you fill up using Upside, next you claim an offer. You claim an offer of whatever you're buying on Upside. You check in. It's called check-in status. Um, and you just pay at the pump, as usual, with a credit card or whatever, Um, And then you have this cash back program, you can earn three times more cash back three times more with upside. And then you can get it back either through an e-gift PayPal or linking to your bank account. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week, and I can certainly believe it. That's probably why they have a 4.8-star rating at the App Store. So download the free Upside app. Use promo code CONSERVATIVE, promo code CONSERVATIVE, to get 5 bucks or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code CONSERVATIVE. So, folks... We are going to have to tell the courts to go to hell. The only reason why it's not quite this bad yet is because Republicans don't do anything good. (laughs) They really don't. They don't do anything good with their power. So therefore, they don't do anything good. There aren't that many things to take to court. But if we actually had everything on the list, they'd say, oh, it's just the opposite. I have, a, I have a disability. You have to wear a mask. Well, what do you mean? You're wearing it. If it works, it works. This is unreal. I'm saying not only is it just like illegal because it violates someone else's human rights, but it's just illogical. But that doesn't stop a court from doing it. See, if, if, if a guy gets up there in a legislature and says, so you, know, you laugh at him and you don't pass this bill. But we're told any freaking district judge could just wave his wand and upend our lives. No, screw you. It doesn't work that way. And that they're somehow the final say, even more so than a legislature? No. That is something we're going to have to broach. I'm telling you, the, the only way this is not going to be a problem next year is if the legislative sessions are a bust. But if we succeed to any degree, they're going to be a big problem. And by the way, speaking of one bill that's very important, I just want to get this out there, HB 631 in Ohio, the Ohio legislature, uh, Representative Chris Jordan, um, basically it's a comprehensive bill requiring pharmacies to fill prescriptions, doctors aren't blamed for prescribing, it's an important bill that is being considered. But folks, do you understand how, how bad this shot is? And it's still, and they, they're saying they have a constitutional right, an OSHA right, an ADA right to mandate it on you? University of Heidelberg last week uh, published in Clinical Research and Cardiology, standardized autopsies were per, performed on 25 people who died suddenly within 20 days of the shots. Myocarditis was find, found in five of them. They note that we did not observe comparable myocardial inflammatory infiltration during the last 20 years of autopsy services performed at Heidelberg University Hospital. That's how bad these things are. And yet, last week, they just approved within two days of Pfizer submitting its application, the baby booster shot, and not a single prominent Republican said a word. So why would they stop? This is what it's like now. We've blown through every single safety signal that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, this kills people. Therefore, we're going to keep mandating it, keep, keep distributing it. Add new ones, new ones for babies. Add RSV next year. And could you blame them? Where's the backstop? Where's Kevin McCarthy's promise to end this? Heck, Kevin McCarthy's not even promising to fully end the mandates. They'll be like, oh, no, healthcare is different. No, it's not. You know, some of my family had to get surgery, and they had to beg the, the, the people there, the nurses, whatever, please don't put a mask on me while I'm under, under anesthesia. Like, that's what, they're, they're still doing that in most places. Grabbing anyone in there. And, and again, those are the people that need to breathe the most. People with illness, with injury, under, under distress. How do, you, how do you have that happen? You're wearing your mask. If it works, it works. And obviously it doesn't. At some point, three years of research that it causes harm. Raises your carbon dioxide rates. It's fun, funny. We're told carbon dioxide is a pollutant. But suddenly for the human body, it's not a problem. Weird. But, but to this day, Republicans have never made the case. So yeah, most of our lives were able to go on and not use it. But again, the people that really need it the most, it's still there, not just the shop, but even the mask. And now in New York and L.A., some of the big cities in the winter, they're, they're not fully mandating it, but they're strongly recommending it. How is this still happening? How is that not a violation of ADA? It's like literally telling a handicapped person, you have to go walk on your two legs without a wheelchair. And this is even worse, because this is totally unnatural, to cover your breathing holes. But to this day, Republicans never, ever focus on the issue that matters. And certainly not the time it matters, but now, even not after it matters. Truly, truly pathetic, but I want to get to our special guest today. So we've had on Dr. Andrew Huff really before a lot of people knew about him. He's made headlines coming out with his book, chronicling much of what he said on the show last year. Um, It's the truth about Wuhan, how I uncovered the biggest lie in history. As you remember, Dr. Huff, who, by the way, is a combat veteran, served in the Minnesota National Guard, infectious disease epidemiologist, and he has many years of experience in scientific research, national security, pandemics. Um, this was really his specialty. And then he was VP for that critical year or two at EcoHealth Alliance under Peter Daszak. And he was the first one to reveal uh, that he believes he is a CIA agent. That is Peter Daszak. And this is very important to our discussion that this is more of an intel national security problem with the germ warfare biomedical security state than it is even kind of the fauci nih you know medical nanny state folks so again he's out with the book and it's making headlines so i figured we got to get him on you could purchase it at amazon or anywhere you purchase your books the truth about wuhan hey dr huff thanks so much for joining us today
1: thank you for having me again Uh, if it weren't for you i probably wouldn't be here today
0: well, you know, um, I, I was getting very worried about you. Uh, the FBI was raiding your home without accusing you of a crime, harassing you. H- has that stopped as of now? Oh
1: yeah, it, it did stop. So the, the the I guess the climax of events were there was a gunfight that happened on my property uh, against probably the Michigan State Police and the FBI. I won. It was sort of it's just crazy to talk about the the law enforcement, uh, the Michigan State Police. And the Sheriff's Department refused to investigate, if you can believe that. I talk about that in the book. Um, we filed a billion-dollar lawsuit shortly thereafter against Equal Health Alliance, Dr. Ralph Barrick, uh, Dr. Peter Dasick, Dr. Ian Lipkin, Dasick's wife. And we're going to expand that case as we get discovery. We, ha- we filed it in the state of New York as a dangerous product liability case, which is a very specific uh, type of w- w- case law in New York. So we're pretty sure we're going to get a discovery on this. And as we get discovery, hopefully we get to to more of the truth of what's going on here. And as you pointed out when you you introduced me, this goes far beyond the the nanny medical state, so to speak. This is all about the biomilitary industrial complex. And I think this is why Congress has been hesitant to investigate. I mean, that's all I've been asking for for the past year. That's why I believe my report that I filed to Congress has been largely ignored, um, my my deposition, the other statements that I've given under oath with penalty of perjury. Um, you know, just by by dumb luck, um, I was in the wrong place at the right time or vice versa, depending on how you look at it, when Dr. Peter Daszak asked me whether or not he should work with the CIA. This does look to be a bigger part of a, um intelligence community Department of Defense effort, to expand bio warfare, bioweapons, and bio risk mitigation capabilities. And, you know, I'm happy to get into all that detail if you. Know.
0: Sure. And, and obviously, so your book's going to have a lot of the juicy details of what the FBI did to break into your home, surveil your home. And I think that's just a good synopsis of what we're up against with the national security state of uh, spying on political enemies that. Didn't even commit a crime, and they're not even alleging commit committed a crime. But in terms of the takeaway of COVID itself, and, and this is very important with so many other irons in the fire. I, I I want to. A lot of people are very concerned. They're passing around this article that it seems like the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security just partnered with you know Gates Foundation, WHO to conduct a catastrophic cont- contagion uh, simulation. Um, and, and I, you know, this was, uh, it was conducted in Belgium and, and, and the subject was basically an enterovirus outbreak in Brazil, which as we know, enterovirus harms children, which, you know, like the whole rub against their thing now was, you know, roping children into lockdowns when children weren't affected. And I'm always like, oh man, now I'm waiting for them to, for that shoe to drop. So this is still going on. Who is behind all of this?
1: Well, that's that's the that's the ten thousand dollar question, and that's why Congress needs to investigate, and we need to to get to the bottom of it. Um, I actually conducted some of these tabletop exercises for the U.S. government um, at, as a contractor and also as a scientist. And it, it's not all nefarious, but when you look at it in the context of what happened with COVID nineteen and the Event two hundred one and the likely emergence date of COVID nineteen, which was in late August or early September of 2019, it all starts to look pretty fishy. You know, and with these tabletop exercises, you can actually sort of insert whatever make-believe infectious disease agent that you want to. And oftentimes we used to mix it up depending on, you know, who's who the audience was and what they're familiar with. But the, the real question here is what are they trying to condition everyone for? That's, that's a question I'm starting to ask. And, and why do they feel the need to, to condition everyone uh, so heavily? If we just went through a pandemic like this, what benefit is there to really just reinforcing the same types of processes and policies before the interesting thing about John Hopkins is that uh, John Hopkins has been, Heavily tied to this biomedical uh, industry, security state going back to two thousand eight, two thousand seven, and I actually discuss uh, some of their involvement uh, in my book. So I, I think really, so that the, the that the world understands what's going on, so the United States understands what's going on, so our people understand what's going on. There needs to be a big public investigation, and we all need to see uh, have answers uh, to these simple questions.
0: So what what concerns me again is that look th- there's a lot of things they need to look into they need to look into the vaccines because that's part and parcel of they seem to have gained a function of 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 a virus but then they're also concurrently working on vaccines and that all ties together so the republicans won't touch that i already know but even on the origin of covid thing My concern is that it's become an obsession about Fauci. And and look, we all agree that if we had a Nuremberg trial, he should be one of the ones swinging from a tree. But they're like, I think we're going to find out that he funded the research. And I'm like, well, yeah, but like the NIH funding to me is like a drop in the bucket. Isn't the bigger fish here? DARPA, BARDA. The whole national defense intel security state, the fact that, you know, in the Brooke Jackson lawsuit, it turns out that the the more important uh, contract with Pfizer was not an HHS contract, but a DOD contract. I'm saying, isn't it more the the defense, uh, um, you know, intel, national security, homeland security complex that's behind this? And the reason why I bring it up, why it's so important is as we're talking— they're voting on a NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, and they're also working on an appropriations bill for the funding of the year. And they're going to fund defense to a tune of $858 billion, more than it's ever been. Both sides agree we need to increase spending. And, you know, Republicans are, are definitely going to want to target the NIH for funding cuts, and that's good. But but when it comes to defense, oh, no, it's planes and ships. No, no, no. They're Funding This without any strings attached. So going after Fauci, but then leaving all this is 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 ridiculous. Am I on to something there?
1: Oh, absolutely. And this is what I've been saying for over a year now. Dr. Anthony Fauci is the fall guy. And so when everyone wants to blame Dr. Anthony Fauci for this big, elaborate uh, cover up. Dr. Anthony Fauci is a sub-agency director at NIH. Yes, it, you know he has a huge, massive bu- budget uh, that he's in control of, but that doesn't give him reach into the defense industrial complex, the medical industrial complex, and the national security state. All the messaging, all the the psyop that was waged against us domestically and with five eyes countries, you know that came from other other parts of the government. So you have to start asking the question: you know who, who's really pushing this? And if even if you look before, uh, the Republicans in Congress at least were trying to pin the blame to Anthony Fauci, the the messaging was, well, this was China's fault. So then after, you know, there was more investigations, like, well, this is Dr. Anthony Fauci's fault. (laughs) But, you know, if they actually hold Dr. Anthony Fauci to account, who's Dr. Anthony Fauci going to blame? And that's what I want to know. I'm waiting for the moment where Dr. Anthony Fauci has to roll on somebody and start pointing to other people, because clearly he's not the one behind all of this. Um, his section of NIH, NIAID, which is my section, all the chemical and biological defense spending goes through his section. And that's typically partnered with DOD or DHS or other sub-agencies from those parent agencies. So I think what we're going to see is, you know, it'll really reveal where the money's coming from. The old saying, follow the money, who's paying for this work, who's benefiting and why are we doing it?
0: Who's benefiting and why are we doing it? And, And to me all this stuff seems to come from the national security state, because you know, if you're an obsessive national security person, you're going to always want full surveillance. You're going to want, you know, everything's like a board of risk, uh, a a tabletop game, right? So I want to be able to move my people like chess pieces on a board. So you have no rights. Uh, You're a robot. You're an AI figure. Um, You're going to be surveilled. And isn't that really where, like, one of the things that scared me is that, you know, again, people think lockdowns came from Fauci. And Fauci is just kind of like the, in my mind, the human embodiment of the Karens, you know, the healthcare Karens, but they're the second yeah. order. They're the ones that put the lab coat, you know, my, my doctor said this, so that's what, that's kind of the psychological warfare in the people, but where this is actually coming from, Jeffrey Tucker has a great article out at Brownstone Institute. I don't know if you've seen it over the oh, weekend. Uh, yeah. Je- Je- Jeffrey Tucker is great. You know, I, uh, we exchange emails periodically. Yeah. And what I found amazing is, so we know Barda, DARPA, you know, very much involved in this. But he proves that really the um the lockdowns originated from CISA, the cybersecurity infrastructure security agency under Homeland Security. And incidentally that was created by Trump himself in 2018.
1: Well and what's important to know about CISA though, is really just a rebranding and reorganization of the Department of Homeland Security, which already exists. The what really the history behind it is that as they finally, finally, I should say, realized that cybersecurity was a huge threat to the nation. That's when they rebranded and reorganized DHS. So it's sort of been always the same thing. They just, they reorged, And actually the the Department of Homeland Security has a history of reorganizing every two to three years.
0: Every two to three years. um, No, it's true. And they do have BARDA, but it's just I found it funny because the reason why that stuck out to me is that there's a political article on SISA, how they were involved in working with the NAACP and the DNC coordinating um, political activities. I mean, this ties into the spying on Americans politically. Um, and then now to know that they, they kind of – I just want – You know, for our audience to read it, COVID-19, this is what they put out at the time, is in their F&Q, is different than any emergency the nation has faced, especially considering the modern, tightly interconnected economy and American way of life. In traditional emergencies, government coordinates with the private sector to get businesses back to business. In this case, as the government works with partners to slow the spread of COVID, the economic goal is maintaining resilience of the nation's foundation, its critical infrastructure. They were the ones who created this essential... And non-essential worker stuff.
1: Well, this is this is all, a lot of it is all propaganda, first of all. And there's there's a simple question you can ask about all of this. How much improvement has the, the Department of Homeland Security or the National Security State, how much has our national security improved since 9/11? And actually I started asking myself this question, asking this question to my peers. In 2013 or 2014, it's an important metric that you should be able to measure to determine whether or not you're making progress as a scientist, as a national security professional, um, because our taxpayers are getting a good return on their investment. And I came to the conclusion, we'll actually know. We're we're less secure today than we we were after 9-11. And in fact, I think we've actually made backwards progress in some of these critical infrastructures. And the Department of Homeland Security is very sensitive to uh, criticism. And what it appears what's happened over the course of the past five or six years or so is that instead of focusing on mitigating national security risk, they become more focused on messaging that everyone is safe and we're making people safe. But everyone should be demanding, well, prove to us that the, all this investment in national security is working. Prove that we're more safe today. Prove that, we're, that the world is a better place because of this national security complex we've created. And I haven't, I haven't seen any data to prove it.
0: And I'm glad you brought up 9-11 because a lot of people view, oh, 9-11 is the Islamic terror thing, and then COVID-19 was like kind of the biomedical security state. But no, really, the biomedical security state was there in place be- largely because of 9-11. I'm
1: a, I'm a product of it. I mean, so when I earned my PhD in, and mostly focused on uh, bio-warfare, bi- bioterrorism, poisoning people, that kind of thing, I'm a product of it and i i sort of grew up in the system and i watched it grow and then i i realized from the work that i was doing it wasn't having impact because when i'd give high level pro- policy briefings or meet with other you know, scientists in this field or other experts they weren't too interested in mitigating or coming up with ways to mitigate um threats or risks because those critical infrastructures are often controlled or owned by corporations so to mitigate security risks, you're asking oftentimes private companies to uh, pay money to, 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 to solve whatever the problem is, or the, the federal government has to give them money to mitigate the risk for them. So it becomes this really tricky issue. If you're going to go out and you're going to assess and, and measure all the risk and you're going to find where all the vulnerabilities and problems are, then you know, how are you actually going to mitigate? And that's a much bigger problem. And without the money to do that or the incentive to do it, really on either side of the equation, from government or corporate America, um, it, the, the, Depart- the Department of Homeland Security is sitting around, always just sort of saying, "We're doing great things." And you were talking about earlier about this, these partnerships with, uh, you know, tribal communities, local communities, uh, local government. That that's pretty much what DHS's role is. They're supposed to be this intercessor or arbiter working with all these different state, local, government entities um, and nonprofit organizations to really coordinate national security response. Well, it seems like they're actually quite effective at that, but the devil's in the details here. What is the thing that they're actually mitigating? And if now it's just being used for propaganda. um, (laughs) Well, they're very successful at it.
0: I mean, they got every community to go drink out of their out of their sewer with the masking and the shots and <laughs> lockdowns, and it seems like that's what they did. You describe in your book, I know you gotta go in a minute, um but I want to get this point out. You describe a lot in your book about the psyops that were were uh foisted upon the American people. I mean, to me, that reeks of the military national security estate,
1: oh absolutely. We're at this weird turning point in human or American history where Americans need to stand up and say, no, we don't want this because it doesn't work. Because in the name of of safety, they're trying to say that they're providing us uh, with security. And and neither one is happening. And really what we're doing is we're giving up our liberty and freedom and we're not having any safety or security because of it.
0: Um, Okay, the the remaining two minutes, I need policy suggestions from you. We have BARDA, we have DARPA, we have the entire military germ war complex that's obsessively working on gain-of-function and concurrently working on vaccines. But working on vaccines with the mentality that all vaccines are good all the time, there's no circumspection – Boom, boom, boom. They're working on self-spreading vaccines. I mean, this thing is out of control. What are some of the things you'd like to see from the new Republican House um, to try to rein it in?
1: Well, the first thing is at the international level, we have to, uh, to push for a new inter- international bioweapons convention where we really get to this gain-of-function debate and what con- constitutes a bioweapon uh, versus um, peaceful use. And there's nothing wrong with doing gain-of-function research if you're only manipulating something one or two steps, evolutionary speaking into the future so that you're actually getting ahead of something that naturally circulates. But this nonsense where we go evolve these agents, uh, combining all these different species that would never come into contact, all these infectious agents that would never come into contact, engineering the Frankenbeast, which is COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, and then simultaneously developing a medical countermeasure for it. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So really the way, the best way to do this, and if I were putting on my old national laboratory scientist hat, is you need to create a rank order list and figure out what are your, your top priority uh, bioweapon or bioterror concerns are from an infectious disease agent standpoint and really stick to that list and, and try to mitigate threats surrounding that. The best way actually to reduce uh, bioterror, bioweapons bio risk is through diplomacy and by being good diplomats at the international level and working with foreign scientists to make sure that they're not developing, you know, heinous crap or they're not going to use it against us. That's probably the best approach here. And, you know, to a large extent, a lot of this, this bio, this biomedical industrial state is trying to do some of that, but I don't think it's being managed very well. So there needs to be a formal review of Congress going and looking at these programs because these programs are in a number of different agencies, and that's that's the other issue here from a government management perspective. It's not just one program. You know, there's there's 30 different programs, and Congress should take a look at this and say, where is there a duplication of effort here? Um, are these are, are these is is this, is this not always uh, duplication effort, or is this mission creep? And try to get all this managed back under one government agency to at least make it more effective if we're going to have any of this in the future.
0: No, very well said. And, and, and let it be known that, you know, all those people who had relatives die from this, this thing, you provide the concrete proof in the book that indeed it was the gain of function research from EcoHealth Alliance, uh, created by Ralph Barrick, done at Wuhan. Um, that's the important detail that we've known for quite some time, but you spell it out. Where could people find more? Um, you released all your documents. Where could where could they find those documents
1: Sure. You find, so on Twitter, uh, my Twitter handle is A G H And
0: uh,
1: yeah, it's, and I've been reposting the tweet every couple of days now of my it's a file transfer link to go download all my documents. And I actually uh, reference those documents because I'm the only person that has them in my book. So when you go buy the book, The Truth About Wuhan, how I just uncovered the biggest lie in history, there'll be citations and You can say, OK, let's go take a look at the document and pull it and look for yourself. So all this, you know, everything that I've claimed has been been true, proven to be true. The only thing that I can't prove, what which, where, and what I want Congress to prove or, or find out for me is how big is the intelligence component of this yes. um, type of research and work?
0: Yes. That that's that's the thing. Don't just focus it on NIH and Fauci, because I think I think I agree with you. They're they're even lower on the totem pole. Um, they needed like a doctor face to relate to the American people for their PSYOP. But in terms of who's really doing this at, at its source stage, yeah, I think it's more in the realm of defense, national security, intel. And, and that's what's so important in your book, The Truth About Wuhan, how I in- uncovered the biggest lie in history. Uh, Dr. Huff, thanks so much for joining us today, and good luck and stay safe.
1: Thank you. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas.
0: You too. Merry Christmas. Take care. So, folks, again, that is the man who has the definitive proof this came from EcoHealth Alliance. Uh, Ralph Barrick was the scientist in the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill that really created that furin cleavage site of the spike protein. They did this research. So, again, this is not about China. It's not – and even Fauci is a distraction. He needs to be held accountable. But Fauci, the point I think that Huff has been making – is that he's kind of that, you know, the image of trust the expert. He's, oh, you know, your local infectious disease doctor or your local, you know, internist. That's represented through Fauci because, you know, people don't want to hear, oh, your intel state. The military thinks this is what, whoa, whoa, whoa what's the military? You say the doctor. And, and, and that in itself is a huge problem. Our medical system has become that way. But in terms of the source of where this is coming from, it's coming from the Intel Homeland Security state. Let's not forget that at least what Fauci said publicly in an interview almost 20 years ago, or, or maybe it was 16 years ago or so, that Dick Cheney wanted to preemptively give everyone in America the ACAM 2000 smallpox fax um, as a way of defending against German warfare. And even Fauci was like, whoa, you can't do that. I mean, that thing causes heart problems. So let's not forget that this all was born out of 9-11, or, or, or at least was turbocharged. I mean, it was around for decades before then. But I believe, like everything our government did, some of it started with good intentions, but now they've become the bioterrorists. It's like... I would just personally, you know, he was saying we need to make some reforms limit it to certain research. I would just say I would get rid of DARPA and BARDA. They are the terrorists. What is Al Qaeda or Russia or anyone else doing that's nearly as scary as what our government has the ability to get away with? And that's where they're working on self-spreading vaccines. What do you think the idea is? If you believe vaccines are everything, and that's how you, you know, bolster your society against an attack. Well, that's the best way to do it. You just force it on people without them even knowing. The national security state is the big problem. And Republicans, they just fund it. 858 billion, no strings attached. Like if I had a military funding bill, I said, hey, we're gonna go after the biomedical medical security state, the surveillance state, on the American people. You want to build planes and ships? We'll talk about that. But not this. This is what we're not hearing from Republicans. Um, So let's not just make Fauci the fall guy. It's much bigger than him. And one other point from uh, Dr. Huff I think is important, and he was telling me this offline, DHS is obviously a big part of it. But DHS, unlike DOD, most of their power is not autonomous. It comes from working with the states, which is why it's so important when we talk about interposition and states fighting back. I do believe when it comes to the FBI, eventually states are going to have to say, no, we're not going to have you here. We'll arrest you if you uh, operate here unlawfully. But with DHS, it's really low-hanging fruit. So this is a big action item that we need state and local Localities to begin cutting off cooperation with DHS on their training programs until they come clean about surveilling Americans. And just speaking of DHS and coming clean, I want to read to you a little bit from this Jeffrey Tucker article on CISA. This is Homeland Security Cyber Security Agency. He says... He, he notes that they were the ones who gave the order on critical infrastructure, on determining what's essential and non-essential. And I think that's very important that CISA has now been flagged as one of the most political organizations. Everyone knows the FBI's political activity, but it's DHS under CISA that has really coordinated the surveillance of opponents, the coordinating political activities with Democrats and their allies. And he notes, Indeed, the whole country fell into complete shambles and trauma for the better part of 2020 leading up to the November election that gutted Republican control of Congress and flipped the White House. We are now finding out with piles of evidence that this was the ambition of many employees at Twitter, including the general counsel, who ended up as a consultant to the very agency that issued the stay-at-home I- advisory. So in other words, he talks about in the article how the general consultant for, um, uh, this, for Twitter, this Gade person, G-A-D-D-E, whom Elon Musk just fired, well, guess what? It turns out that she had already been tapped as an advisor to CISA, so CISO worked against us politically. CISO worked against us politically also in the sense of getting Trump, like an idiot, to adopt lockdowns, which they knew would cost him the election. And then the one who was in charge of the censorship regime at Twitter also wound up going to CISO. So that's a really important detail. Cease as part of the Department of Homeland Security, created only in 2018 with an act signed by Trump. So Trump created it by executive order, and like everything he did that was supposed to be for the good, somehow he just couldn't control himself and just didn't know, and it all turned out to be the worst thing possible created by him. That literally was the agency that was his undoing. On the weekend of March 14th to 15, 2020, Trump surrounded himself with a handful of advisors, including Fauci, Burks, Pence, and Kushner, along with a few outside consultants from Pharma and Tech, and agreed to 15 days to flatten the curve. Seems highly unlikely he knew that he was approving a complete takeover of the country by the national security arm of the government, much less empowering this one agency with the task of crushing the whole economy, except what government strategically called essential. So, they were involved in all of this. I've been unable to find out anything about the agency's budget or payroll, but we do know that it is hiring. CISA is always searching for diverse, talented, and highly motivated professionals to continue its mission of securing the nation's critical infrastructure. So, they have a lot more jobs out there. A perfect place, as he notes, for all the Twitter employees that have been fired by Elon to land. And again, I remind you, Burks did not work in HHS. She was taken from the National Security State. That was the takeover. Never forget that. Another important um, point here I want to note. Recently... Whitney Webb, who's been all over this, the, the national security intel state being in charge of all this, she drew our attention to a Bloomberg opinion interview between one of their guys, Michael Strain and Scott Gottlieb. Okay, Scott Gottlieb, you remember, was Obama's FDA administrator. He's on the board of Pfizer, and he was, you know, no conflict of interest One of the most notorious faces on cable news throughout the pandemic, pushing Pfizer and all their garbage. And she notes that, interestingly enough, he's on the board of resilience. It's a name of what uh, uh, one of these boutique, you know, bioterror stuff that she proves is a CIA front. So with that in mind, she points our attention to this interview he gave Bloomberg June 12th, 2021, and he talks about all of his lessons, the lessons from the pandemic. How do we prevent the next pandemic? Talks about different things, different failures, and then he says that public health authorities always anticipated that an epidemic would be regionalized. For example, a city would be attacked with anthrax or smallpox. So we would be able to focus resources on a very defined geographic area. We didn't anticipate a national epidemic that would require us to do this on a national scale. We need to have a capability to be able to distribute vaccines more effectively. We need to start looking at public health through the lens of national security and involving our tools of national security in this mission. Now, that's already happening, but he's grooming the public into this martial law takeover. So the guy interviewing him asked, well, you know, how would national security agencies play a role in stopping the next, next pandemic? So Golly said, historically, the national security agencies wanted to avoid public health issues. And the public health community didn't want the clandestine services anywhere near its mission out of concern that everyone with a white coat would be perceived to be a spy. And, and he's right. Covid-19 showed us that the intel agencies need to be involved in gathering information about emergent, emerging infections around the world. This information is held by soft targets. If anything, Covid has conditioned nations to be less likely to share information in, in, in the future. Most nations have learned is that if you're going, if you're, if you're a host to an outbreak of a novel dangerous pathogen, the first thing that's going to happen is other countries are going to erect trade and travel restrictions on you. The economic implications of being the host to an outbreak have now grown more significant. And they note this is why we need intel agencies to be at the head of this. Now, this is already happening. We know this. And remember, these same people are engaging in tabletop simulations, now, the interesting thing is, it always seems that whatever their simulation is, a year later, you seem to have the virus. We saw this both with coronavirus and with monkeypox, and I think there were others as well that they seem to perfectly predict. So this is very scary, this enterovirus outbreak. Entravirus could lead to certain paralysis. It could be very dangerous, but particularly for children. If you're part of the PSYOP of germ warfare, what are you going to target for your next release of bioterrorism? It's going to be something that particularly gets kids. And that's what scares me. This is the scope of research that we need to do. Don't just make it about owning the left. Fauci has become a face for the left. Don't do to Fauci what you're doing with Hunter Biden. Meaning they're both very important. But don't miss the main point. When someone's pointing to the moon, don't focus on the finger. Look at the moon. Look at the craters. Look at the bigger expanse of that state, of what, of what they've done. This thing, this thing was prepared. I believe it was a released act of bioterrorism by our own government and intel agencies they're the ones that need to be targeted in a budget bill more than anyone else yet if you don't make the focus on this it will all be about defunding the NIH or something which they'll never do but you know at least like punishing them a little bit but that's not the head of the snake that's an arm we need to look at the, this you can't say oh, oh no that's national security daniel well, that means those are the ones with the biggest resources and the least transparency. And that's why I, I support Russ vote, my friends calling for a church com- commission on the national security apparatus, the woken weaponizing of it. Don't just go after F- Fauci. We need a church like commission, like what they did on the CIA at the time. We need it on CIA, NSA, FBI, but rope in BARDA and DARPA as well the national security state's role in germ warfare. And I certainly hope they're in touch with um, Dr. Huff. I, I mean, to my knowledge, none of them have reached out. None of the critical players yet have reached out to, um, to Dr. Huff, which is disappointing, but we're going to try to make that happen. And by the way, I recently saw Comer, James Comer, he's the Kentucky Republican uh, incoming chairman of the Oversight Committee. And he's wasting his time. He wants to investigate the Afghanistan pullout. And look, we all know that what Biden did was horrific there, the way he pulled out. But let's call a spade a spade. The reason Republicans are upset is because they still want to be in Afghanistan. Like, that issue is already water under the bridge. And frankly, I'm just going to say this publicly, In many ways, I'm thankful, not the way he did it, but if Biden hadn't done it, Trump would have never done it. It's the same thing with Iraq. It took Barack Obama to pull out of Iraq. Republicans would have never done it. And we would have still been bogged down. So, I mean, it is what it is. And to the extent it needs research, it's on the stupid refugee resettlement and getting rid of the Afghan refugees that both the DOD and DHS inspector generals have shown we've let in real live terrorists and so many others that are likely, you know, Sharia compliant time bombs. That's the bigger issue. But Republicans supported that and to this day support refugee resettlement. Fight them there. Bring them here. kill our soldiers over there, bring them here. Notice everything they did post 9-11 was, was completely backwards. Oh, we have to fight the potential of, you know, Al-Qaeda's bioterrorism, so we're going to engage in bioterrorism like they could have never done themselves with the resources, research, and money, and control that they could have never seized over the public. And the PSYOPs, too. Same thing. Oh, we have to fight them there so they don't come here. But because we fight them there, then we feel guilty. We bring in the refugees and bring them here. Which, as you well know, 9-11 was all about. All about. Immigration and visas. And COVID was a similar thing. They caused the problem. They blocked the real solution to it. There it was cutting off immigration and visas from that part of the world. In this case, it was early treatment and and preventing any future gain of function. And they didn't do that and then use that to control us. And in retrospect, 9-11 built the germ warfare biomedical security state. It built the surveillance state. And we, look, as conservatives, most of us spent a generation... Defending it and even promoting it. Think about under the Bush years. We fought Cindy Sheehan and all those people. You know what? In retrospect, they were right. They were right. Lost generation of policy. But we can't afford to lose that now. We have to fight immediately on the issues that matter and the way they matter. I just want to end off with a clip from Peter McCullough. Just to show you how dangerous this is this biomedical security, it's very likely that this vaccine itself is already to an extent self-spreading. We know it sheds. Listen to Peter McCullough rattle off the degree of research we already have on the ability to shed the spike protein.
2: What are the risks to the unvaccinated? You know, there was a recent paper, I just have it on my substack, if if you want to review it, if you go to the Courageous Discourse substack, and the first author is Helene Benoun, a former INSERM scientist. INSERM is a leading research unit in France, and Benoun has summarized this, this is disturbing. It looks like the messenger RNA is transferring from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated now. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a paper by Fertig and colleagues, the messenger RNA is found circulating in blood for at least two weeks. And the curves were not going down. That's as long as they look. Rolkin and colleagues has found messenger RNA in the vaccinated in lymph nodes for months. It looks like the body's not clearing it out. And, uh, and then a recent paper, this is most disturbing, from Hannah and colleagues, Gemma, showed that the messenger RNA is in the breast milk of yes. women ill-advised who took the vaccine uh, during pregnancy or afterwards. So it's now clear. I think the messenger RNA, that's the greatest concern, is was could you actually take a vaccine inadvertently by close contact, kissing, sexual contact, breastfeeding? and It looks like the answer is yes. Now the question on the table is how long do you wait uh, for contact? No one knows. This the, the vaccines, the messenger RNA vaccines for short, They've never been demonstrated to actually leave the body. They look like they're permanent, uh, as well as the spike protein that's produced after them. This is very disturbing. So it's hard to guide. I was saying, you know, 30 days refrain from kissing and sexual contact with a vaccinated person, but I'm now extending that to at least 90 days and uh, and conservatively maybe extend it from a point forward. I know there's married couples and all kinds of uh, of, of personal implications there, but but no, this messenger RNA it looks like it's for keep. Every shot is accumulating in the body with no ability for the body to get rid to of it. To remove it. The vaccines, because they stay in the body so long, it looks like they do permanently install into the human genome mm-hmm. through what we call, it's called reverse transcription. So this is disturbing. Not only does the vaccines not get out of the body, but now they're changing the human genome. Uh, this is shown in a human hepatoma cell line. And so it's conceivable that two vaccines.
0: Folks, that's one smart man. He memorizes all the studies, and look, again, I don't think it's still as bad as actually getting the shot. Likely, probably, hopefully doesn't cause strokes and heart attacks in the people who don't get it. I think it's more of an issue of getting us all like you know, immune-suppressed in the, you know, the immune system and spreading viruses. But that doesn't happen by accident. To me, that has all the markings of the national security state. It's time we dismantle the national security, biomedical, and surveillance state. That's got to be the top of the agenda. We're going to fight for that. So much more coming up. So much more to you know fit in, cram into four days. We'll have some good guests on. We're going to have Dr. Jessica Rose on tomorrow um, to discuss the latest data and safety signals. Let me know what your questions are. Daniel Hurwitz at Startmail is the email. At C19TruthBombs is the email. Um, Telegram and at RM Conservative was the Twitter handle, but I still have not been um, restored. I don't know what's up with that, but go on Twitter and yell at Elon Musk. Tag him for why he's not restoring me. Um, those of you who are on Twitter till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.